that God had made to Israel and to the patriarchs hundreds of years previously. Now they have gone into the land. He has given them victory over their enemies. He has helped them to settle into this land that they had not built cities or towns, and yet they find all of these things available to them. He has, he has been with them every step of the way. And now in Joshua chapter 23, Joshua calls the leaders of Israel together and says, okay, how are you going to respond? And the call is the same for us this morning. God has been faithful to us, and how are we to respond to a faithful God? So if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning in Joshua chapter 23. It is a a little bit lengthy chapter, so if in the middle of that you need to take a seat, we totally understand. Reading, though, the Word of the Lord in Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now that I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all these good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we again, as we have already mentioned many times this morning, we are thankful. We are thankful that you have chosen us 
to be your people. To show your grace and your compassion upon. To lead and to guide. That you have given us promises of your return and of a new home. That you time and time again have been patient with us to forgive us, to give us another chance, to call us close to yourself. Father, I pray that we this morning would not neglect what you have given us, that we would not abuse the grace of our Savior who died, that we would not take for granted the victory you won in your resignation, your resurrection and now share with us. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would celebrate in the faithfulness of our God. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear, that we may be obedient to the call that our King has given us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In chapter 23, we have Joshua giving us, in many ways, his final address. We're going to see in chapter 24 that he gathers together the, king, the entire kingdom of Israel and they renew the covenant in chapter 24. But in chapter 23, we see this final address to a new group of leaders. It's a faithful leader's last testament in many ways to his people one commentator says a good father a good father makes sure that his children are provided for and cared for and watched over while he is alive a great father makes sure that they are provided for and cared for and instructed after he's gone in the same way Joshua being a faithful servant of God and being a faithful father figure in many ways to the nation of Israel is concerned not just for the here and now for Israel, but he is concerned for what happens after he leaves. And so he gathers the leaders together, the elders, the judges, the priests, that he may give them final instructions. We're told here at the beginning of chapter 23 that a long time afterward has passed that the Lord had given rest from all their surrounding enemies. Commentators agree that between chapter 22 and chapter 23, something like 20 to 25 years have passed. There's been a couple decades now of Israel living in the promised land, of living in homes that they had not built, in cities that they had not constructed, of tending to vineyards and orchards that they had not planted of enjoying the pasture lands and enjoying this new home that they had been given and settling there. It had been a time of, as I said, relative peace and enjoyment. And Joshua now draws close to the end of his life and he desires to pass the baton well. It's interesting, by the way, we don't have time to look at all of it, but it's interesting to compare Joshua chapter 3 and then go back and look at Joshua chapter 1, where God commissions Joshua to be the new leader of Israel after the death of Moses. In fact, if you go back and look there just for a second, I'm just going to read part of it. It says, 
Starting in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. We see almost the exact same thing happen here in chapter 23. He says, be strong that you may observe all of the law, not turning from the right hand or to the left. He is replicating Joshua is replicating the commissioning that he himself had been given. He is passing the baton from himself to the next generation the same way that Moses and God had given him the baton. By the way, a little side note, that's what all of us should do. We all are called to replicate what God had given, has given to us and to replicate and to pass it on to a new generation, to new individuals, to make disciples. That's why it's so important that we do that well. Again, that's another sermon for another day. Joshua desires to pass the baton, and so he gathers everyone together. And what we see afterward in the rest of this chapter is what he desires for them. And in particular, he is explaining how do we live in light of God's faithfulness to us. And so you look at the beginning of this address that he gives to them, and what he immediately starts out with is the faithfulness of God to Israel. Looking in verse 3, he says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He says, It is important in this moment, after all of this time, two decades has passed, that we not forget that we are here because of what God has done on our behalf, because He has been faithful to His promises. You're going to see later in chapter 23, He says, you know in your mind and in your soul, to the very core of who you are, that God has fulfilled every good promise that he has made about this people. Joshua wants to make it abundantly clear that in these times of peace, after all of the settling, has, the dust has kind of settled, that Israel not forget what God has done for them. Not only of God's faithfulness, but of God's grace implied throughout this chapter is the grace of God towards Israel. They had not earned it. They had not deserved a new home. There was nothing special about Israel that made them stand out from anyone else. They had not been an exceptionally obedient people at various times in their history. And yet God had continued to give grace. He had continued to show compassion and forgiveness. He had continued to give them Great gifts in his own wisdom and for, and for his own glory. Not only that, but Joshua not only wants to remind them of God's faithfulness and of God's grace, but he also wants to remind them of God's continued presence. In verse 5, he says, The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. He says, not only has God worked in the past, not only is He working in the present, but God is promised to work in the future. If you will keep the course, if you will lead Israel well, He has promised 
to continue the mission, to expand the kingdom, to give you new places, new homes, so that His glory may be fulfilled. You know, as we read through this, it is easy for us to say, well, that's great for Israel. That's great for them. I'm excited for them. I'm excited that Israel has a place to live. I'm excited that these people that had been in slavery in Egypt not that long ago now have and have wandered through the desert and been nomadic. Now, I'm glad that God has been faithful to them. It's cool to read about the stories of Jericho and of the five kings at Gibeon and the conquest of the north. All of those things are wonderful. But let us not forget that God's faithfulness has extended to us as well. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 very quickly. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus And he starts out this amazing letter with some language that is somewhat familiar. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory We read this introduction to the letter of Ephesus and it in many ways is the same sentiment that Joshua is trying to give in in chapter 23. Here Paul is trying to remind Ephesus of the great gifts that the church has been given, of the great faithfulness of God to us. He has adopted us. It says he chose us before the creation of the world, that he looked Ahead, and he knew that you were going to be his. We who were lost, rebellious, nothings. He looked at us and said, I want you. And then he acted upon that. He saved us. He saved us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the miracle of His resurrection, He has saved us. That should get an amen. That should be an exciting thing. That should not be something that we sit back and go, oh, that's great. That should be a hallelujah. 
Because at one time, you and I, each one of us, have looked at the creator of all things, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and we, each one of us, have one time or another, and often many, many times, have looked at God and said, no thank you. He has offered us life and life eternal. He has offered us fulfillment and satisfaction and abundance, and we have looked at it, and in some cases we have even taken that grace and then said, no thanks. I would rather live life my own way. I would rather do my own thing. If you're going to forgive, or even worse, sometimes we look at him and say, hey, you're going to forgive me anyway, so I'm just going to act how I want. We have denied it. And the word is pretty clear that there is a consequence for that. The consequence for committing treason against an earthly kingdom is prescribed as death. How much more than when we commit treason against the heavenly kingdom is it not just death, but it's eternal death in a place called hell. And yet God did not leave us to that fate. But he desired that we would know him for eternity. And so he sent Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, deserving no consequence of his own. And yet he took on ours. He took our place on the cross, suffered our consequences, paid our debt that we may have life and have it eternal. That we may be called sons and daughters of God. That we may look forward to better promises. Promises of a new home. You know, we sell it. We've talked about this whole, uh, this whole time in our time in Joshua about them receiving a new home, a promised land. They looked forward to an earthly place with new homes that they had not built. They looked forward to vineyards that they had not planted, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the word says. How much more then should we look forward to the promise of a new home that we've been given, of homes that we did not build. He says that he goes to prepare a place for us that we may enter into his joy and into his presence, not by our own doing, but by what he has done for us. How much more do we look forward to that? And yet some of us live in such a way that we kind of act like we try to put that off as long as possible. Somehow that is not something to strain for and to grasp hold of. God has been faithful to us time and time again. He has been gracious to us time and time again. It should produce in us great joy and great excitement that no one can deny. doesn't mean that we don't have times of grief and mourning. Certainly we do. But by and large, our lives should be marked with the joy of the Lord. Joshua goes on, he says, God has been faithful to you, he has, give, he has blessed you, he has done all of this, and yet Joshua knows something in particular. He knows that in times of peace we are greatly tempted. When we are at war, when we are focused on a common cause, we generally do a better job of hunkering down and following the leader. But when there is a time of peace, we tend to get distracted. We begin to look at our own pleasures, we begin to look at our own little problems, and we begin to drift. Joshua knows that this is a danger for Israel, and so he gives them some warnings for peacetime. First, he says, keep the law. 
He says, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. He says, keep the law. Do what God has commanded you to do. Because when we keep the law, when Israel kept the law in particular, it kept them close to God. Close to the one who had called them out of Egypt. Close to the one that had sustained them through the desert. Close to the one who had fought for them. Close to the one that had given them to a new land. He says if you want to maintain that relationship, if you want to maintain that blessing, then stick close to him. And that is done through obedience. He says not only to keep the law, but to serve only God. He says that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. He says get rid of all of the idols, all of the other things in your life. Focus on me and me alone. Serve only him. It's interesting here he says don't make mention even of the names of the others. Don't even give them room. There's something about speaking the name of something or or mentioning a word that opens it up. I've always kind of heard the analogy given of do not think about a polar bear. Do not think about a polar bear. And what is in every single one of your minds right now? When we mention words, they bring images to our mind. And so Joshua is saying, stop. I'll give you a, a little bit more serious example. I have the best wife in the world. I went all the way to Madagascar for her. That joke will never get old for me, okay? She's fantastic, and we, I love her, and I love, one of the things I love about our relationship is that we tease one another, and we can joke one another, and we have a sense of, she has a great sense of humor. She knows when to put me in my place. There's one thing that we do not joke about. There's one word that we do not mention. It is not loud in our vocabulary, and that is divorce. We've seen the scars of it, seen how it's hurt people. We've seen the obedient, the, the blessing of obedience in that area of, of holding fast with one another. We do not allow that word, not even in joking, not even in jest, because we do not want to give it space in our home and in our relationship. Joshua is saying the same thing here. Do not give idols space in your life. Don't even mention their name. Don't even give them a foothold. You serve Yahweh. You serve the Lord. And then he says, don't be lured by temptation. Going on a little farther in verse 12, he says, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among them and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, that they will be a snare and a trap for you. Not only keep the law, not only serve the Lord, but don't be lured by temptation. This is one of the major things that happens in times of peace when we lose focus of the mission, when we lose the vision of what God has given to his people, is that we begin to look at other things, at the pretty things of life, and we begin to chase after those. Now, he does not say that Israel should be a 
fortress. They shouldn't build walls around the nation. And indeed, they are meant to be a shining example to the rest of the world of God's glory, to invite the nations in to worship God. But he says, be careful in how you associate with them. Be careful about not marrying with them, because what happens when you get married, two families are combined and there are compromises that are made. And the next generation is taught that those compromises are okay, and there's a slippery slope that happens after that. He says, don't allow that to happen. And certainly, if you read on in Judges, that's exactly what does happen. That slippery slope until eventually they have abandoned the worship of God. So don't be lured by that temptation. Don't be lured by the pretty things of earth. Don't value the love of a man or a woman to overshadow your relationship with God. He gives them some pretty dire warnings here. And what's true for them is still true for us. We're still called to obey. Jesus Christ says that if you love me, you will obey my words. Because Christ understands, God understands that his law, his commands are not meant to prevent life, but they are meant to preserve it, to give it greater. A good example of this is in Job. When you, if you don't know the story of Job, Job went through some horrific things. Some horrific things in his life, loss of his wealth, loss of his family. And he cries out to God. He complains to his friends, why has God hedged me in? Those are the words he uses. He's hedged me in. He's hemmed me in where I can't move, it feels like. And he sees it as a constraining thing. What's interesting about that is you go back to chapter 1 where God is speaking. He says, I'm going to put a hedge of protection around him. What we sometimes see as constraining is actually God's way of protecting us. Christ calls us to obey because he knows what he's doing. It's like when you have a child that is disobedient They want something. They desire to do something. But you see the danger that lies just around the corner. In the same way, God has called us to obey so that he can lead us in the best direction. Second, he calls us to, we are still called to abandon all else. We're still called to abandon our idols, to abandon anything that would get in the way of us and having a relationship with God, of going deeper with him of knowing him more. Christ tells us that we are to hate our mother and father if we are to be worthy to follow him. He's not calling us to literally hate our families. What he's calling for us to do is to be clear about our priorities. Do you think that God loves your family less than he loves you? No, my friend. He loves them infinitely more. And so he asks you, trust your family with me. Put me first, and then see how that impacts your family. We're called to abandon all else. We're called, lastly, to be influencers, not be influenced. We're called to be influencers, not be influenced. We are the salt and light to the world that needs to hear about Christ. We are to be the ones that tell them of the good news We are to be the ones that stand out in the crowd. And yet so often, instead of being the influencer, we have allowed ourselves to be the influenced. 
We allow ourselves to be influenced by our culture. We allow ourselves to be influenced by the media. We allow ourselves to be influenced by our entertainment. What we think of just as fun and games, we need to realize that slowly we are allowing to seep in. We allow ourselves to be influenced by a whole manner of things. It's supposed to be the exact opposite. To obey, to abandon all but Him, to influence and not be influenced. These are the same warnings that Joshua had given to his people. And he ends with this. He ends with this. God will be faithful to Israel. Verse 14, he says, And now I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness and His blessing. That He has been good to the people of Israel. That He has been faithful to the word that He made to them. Joshua wants to drive that point home. But at the same time, he wants to remind Israel that God will be faithful, not just in his blessing, but that he will also be faithful in his judgment. He says, but just as those good things that the Lord your God promised you concerning have been fulfilled, so the Lord will bring upon you evil things until he has destroyed you from the good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God. He wants to be clear. God is faithful to his word and completing his promises, but he has made other promises about judgment as well. And he will not fail in those things. He will not come up short in his justice. In the same way, we we should celebrate living in God's grace. This should be a place of great joy and excitement. Our homes should be a place of great joy and excitement over what God has done. People should come into our homes and immediately know there's something different about this place. There's something different about this family. There's something different about this individual. They have a hope that I don't understand. They have a presence about them that is odd. They wear on their face an expression that I don't get. We should live in celebration of God's grace, but we should also understand God's faithfulness to His Word. Faithfulness on two fronts. One, for the one that does not have a relationship with God, that one day we will stand before a holy God and give account of our lives, and all of us come up short. All of us come up short. All of us deserve the consequences that we talked about earlier. And also for the promises for us as believers, for sons and daughters of God. The scripture is pretty clear that if we choose in our, in our faith even to be disobedient, that God will not allow that to continue. If we are to be his ambassadors, then we're going to act like it. Can you imagine what would happen if an ambassador of the United States goes to another country and begins to act in a vile way, in a way that's unfaithful to our standards and to our ethics and our morals? What happens? He gets called home, right? He gets, there is discipline that happens. There's a change that needs to happen 
In the same way, we have all been called to be ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom. And if we will refuse to act in obedience, even as sons and daughters of God, he will discipline. It's a mark of being a child of God. If I've lost you this morning, listen to this phrase. Give me just just a moment. It is preferable that we be motivated by God's grace. That is his preference. He he pours grace upon us. He pours his love upon us. He pours his blessing upon us that it may motivate us to obedience, that it may draw us closer to him. But do not be mistaken. That preference will not prevent him motivating us with his justice. It's preferable that we be motivated by God's grace to glorify Him. But that preference will not prevent Him from motivating us with His justice and His discipline. And so we come to the question, how will we respond? If you are sitting here this morning, you have been blessed. You have been given great grace. If you are a believer here this morning, you have known His grace. You have known His goodness. You have been through these waters and you have known a life in Him. How will you respond? Will you be a prodigal son who says, give me my inheritance now and goes on his own way only to find himself in a foreign country all by himself eating with the pigs saying, oh, if I could only go home. Or will you follow him? Will you stay close by his side? Will you stay as close to the king as you can possibly get to know his goodness and his faithfulness? If you're not here and you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, you would be honest with yourself and say, I have lived my life the way I want to live it, and I know that I need something different and you hear of God's goodness and His grace towards you this morning, how will you respond? Will you ask Him to forgive you? Will you believe that He died for you, and that He rose from the grave to give you life? Will you commit to following Him the rest of your life? And in doing so, watch Him perform a miracle in your life to change your heart, to give you new life, and new promises. Or will you reject him? How will you respond to a faithful God? The good news is, is that he is waiting for your answer and he holds out the hand of relationship. Whether you are a believer that has gone astray in a time of kind of the prodigal son or whether you are one that has never had a relationship with him, he stands before you and he waits. He waits and he offers you the hand of relationship. Come back to him. I'm going to have the praise team come up. We're going to have a time of response. My prayer is this morning that you would remember all of the blessings that God has given. All of the grace that he's shown you. The abundance of love that he has given to you and to your loved ones this morning. That you would remember his faithfulness of His patience with you. 
and that you would desire to respond to that this morning. You would say, I'm with you. I will follow you. Lead the way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we have heard from your word of your goodness. Lord, we have heard from your word of your grace and your love. We look in our own lives and we can observe the blessings, Lord, that we have. And yet we also know that we have fallen short. Lord, that at different times in our life, and maybe even currently, Lord, that we have decided to go our own way. That we have forsaken the one who has loved us well. Father, I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts to do a a work of repentance, Lord, that we would ask for forgiveness and desire to go a new way this morning. Father, that we would have a desire as a people, as individuals, to follow you, to grow closer to you, to obey you, because that is, is in that obedience that we find life. Lord, it is in your sacrifice that we are given grace and that we find eternal life, but it is in your obedience, Lord, that we find blessing. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that if there's one here that has never known you, that this morning they would hear of your goodness and your grace, and they would desire that. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can stand with us. You can grab